and welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. I'm your host, India Pearson, and I believe ripples are made when we connect movement with nature, not only for our mind and body, but also the environment too. This podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk who feel the same and have some fascinating stories to tell from their experiences. I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big, and see what happens from the ripples you create. Time to introduce my guest. With over 20 years of coaching experience behind him, Chris Brain is a highly qualified and much-loved character in the world of paddle sports. From leading groups of young people with challenging behaviour to coaching the GB freestyle team, Chris has dedicated his working life to educating and leading people in the great outdoors, whilst also nurturing his personal love of paddle sports and more recently trail running. Palm Equipment describes him as one of the nicest guys you'll meet on the water, and I'm delighted to have him on the podcast. Hello Chris, and welcome to the Starter Ripple podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, India. Okay, so let's go right back to those little ripples that you started making in your life um, and hear a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today. So I grew up in North Manchester and um, I, I'd always been a little bit outdoorsy really. I, I've always quite enjoyed sort of going for a walk in the hills or like bike riding with my dad, that sort of thing. Um, and my uncle has, uh, has, has previously been really into kayaking and really into canoeing as well. And, um, and he managed to get hold of a couple of uh, really old sort of fiberglass boats um, that, he, uh, that he said he'd like give to me and my dad so that we could go down to our, our local river and go for a paddle because we actually lived quite close to, uh, quite close to the river. And we, we turned up down there with these boats and these boats were like really out of date at the time. And, um, and we turned up with them and, and kind of the rest is history really. We, we ended up getting involved with the local canoe club and with the activity center and uh, and took it from there from from that point onwards we just couldn't stop going you know my dad still paddles now we're talking 20 years down the line he's still going out there all the time i'm still really regular on the water of course uh, and we both still love it which is great now as you say you were an outdoorsy type um from a young age so you could have got into any kind of sport but what was it about being on the water that hooked you and made you think, yeah, yeah, this is going to be something that's going to be play a big part in my life moving forward. Yeah, I I, I end up going out with with my uncle and my dad uh, out to to Whitby Harbour, and um, this is bef- this is before actually we had the boats that I just mentioned just a minute ago, and we uh, we we went out uh, sort of paddling down through the estuary, and, and my uncle said he'd take me out to um to like the waves that were just outside of uh, of this the sort of end of the estuary and uh, and my dad wouldn't go he wasn't he wasn't keen at all he was like I'll hang back here you know it's choppy enough out here and I I went out and I, it was probably only about two minutes and we only just got out into into the little bit of waves and um and just kind of sat there for a few moments with like the water kind of crashing around us and um and it was just amazing and I absolutely loved it and I thought you know what I'm really I'm really up for this. And that, that sparked my uncle asking, my dad asked my uncle if we could get some boats and go down to the river. And it just felt like it, I'd somehow managed to find the right thing. And my dad had found that as well, which really allowed us to, to both get out together. We're both keeping each other motivated for that. 
So I, yeah, we, we just loved it. Yeah, I think if you, you find something that you love and then you have a friend or a family member that loves it just as much as you do, um, it can make that experience even more special. And and of course, with water sports, um, you know, it can be better to have a buddy with you from a safety point of view, too. Um, now, you then turned this passion, this love, this hobby into a career. You're now an insanely qualified paddle coach. You know, you've you've coached Olympic teams and all sorts. What made you want to turn it into a career? Well, when I started off, I never really saw it as uh, as being a, a job at all. It was it was not something. It was not a direction I was heading in. Really, I was actually uh, on my way to study media studies at like college and university, and I was going to go and do something probably to do with newspaper or journalism or something on those lines. But my my family had convinced me that it would probably be a good idea to to do some qualifications in in the paddling, so that I could like work and paddle sort of at the same time really and they would go hand in hand and I could earn a bit of money which would fund my brand new kayaking habit which required loads of kit and equipment and wetsuits and all that sort of thing um, and so I just kind of got started with this idea of actually you know it's really good to be able to to do it and learn and coach and and even just earn a little bit of money doing it and and it was at one of those real decision making moments in my life when when you're presented with an opportunity of do you do you go this way or do you go that way and in the end I made the decision that I was actually going to follow this pathway of trying to pursue a career working in the outdoors and and delivering coaching and I'd also got into a little bit of rock climbing as well at the time so it was it was one of those moments just like well do I do I continue with what I think I was going to do before I knew about kayaking or do I do I carry on with it and, and see where it leads and where it's where it's led to has been really, really great for me. I've, I've loved every minute of it. It's not without its challenges, of course, but it's been it's been absolutely fantastic to, to build it into a career, which I never really saw coming when I was sort of 15, 16. Yeah. And and like you, I've turned my passion and hobby into a career. You know, I was a an avid yoga fan and then I became a yoga teacher and a SUP yoga teacher um, but one thing I've decided not to do is to become a paddleboarding coach because I love paddleboarding so much but I want to keep that as a hobby and not you know cross the line between work and play um, how do you find that because I know a lot of people are often tempted to turn their passion into a career but sometimes you can find that you lose you lose the the passion side because there is the pressure of it being a job um how have you found found that you know turning your passion for paddle sports into a career as a coach i think finding the balance is one of the trickiest bits actually and and i'm really conscious of that balance being really important so I, I want to be able to get out on the water and do um, my own thing and go and do my own paddling and my own adventures as well. But it's also found that balance of doing it for, for work at the same time. So I, I really have it in my mind that I'm a, I'm a paddler first and like a, a coach second, really. So if it ever got to the point where I think I'm, o I'm only doing this for work and it's just simply become a job, I think I'd really take the time to reevaluate that and and work out again which direction is it heading and I, I had hoped that I'd just continue the paddling that's what I'd 
we want to do. But the 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 balance has been great so far. I still managed to get out and do uh, a fair amount of paddling for myself. Although, of course, it's never enough. You know, <laughs> you always want to do a little bit more, don't you? But uh, managing to balance that with with work is is great. And and the work also takes me to some really great locations that I probably wouldn't go to or I, and with people that I probably wouldn't meet if I didn't do that for a job as well. Yeah, and I think the community side is is really special and you know, it can often make you forget that it that it's work when you're seeing other people love, you know, and get into a sport that you're so passionate about. It can make you forget that you're that you're there and, and being paid to do that job. Um and, and speaking of of you know, seeing people being inspiring people within paddle sports. I know that you've uh, worked with kids with challenging behaviour in the past, and I'd I'd love to hear a bit more about this and how how you have used paddle sports to to work with their challenging behaviour. Because I know there's a lot of science behind you know getting kids outdoors, um, but I'd love to hear hear from your experience on this. So I, I really think it's important for people to to connect to those outdoor spaces and to and to try new things and to get outside. And the organisation that I used to work for, I used to work for a charity called Fairbridge. It would use outdoor activities as a way of engaging young people in just something different or something that that was positive. Not necessarily a sport they're going to all of a sudden take up themselves like I have, but just to to give them a, a new experience and they they loved it without fail it it always worked whether that was people really enjoying the sensation of paddling the boats or enjoying just sort of splashing the water and going for a swim or whether that was just connecting with the sort of natural spaces around them they they always loved it and i and i really i i think i knew the power of the outdoors with young people and people in general but i really started to see it when we we took these and uh, what were quite often kids from the centre of Manchester who hadn't really experienced water sports or those kind of green spaces. And we took them into some really cool locations in North Wales and the Lake District and they just came alive. And, and I thought, this is, this is it, you know, going, going outside and experiencing those places just works. Yeah, you know, such a simple way of engaging young people that obviously has a huge impact um now you know we we can clearly clearly hear that you love your paddle sports but I know you've also been getting into trail running recently um so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that you know why have you decided to take up a new a new sport a new way of keeping fit and and how that's affected both your physical fitness but also your mental health too you know your outdoors you're running in nature um, what impact has that had on your well-being? Yeah, so so I've paddled for like over twenty years now, and that's that's kind of become like the norm of what I what I really do. But I I realised probably about two years ago that I I wasn't really doing any any sort of physical cardio, sort of out of breath type exercise on uh, on a, a daily basis or on a regular basis, like in in a kayak. Um, it's quite possible to kind of take it quite easy and go with the flow, especially if you're on a bit of a river and it doesn't necessarily tire you out too much. So I said, I'm really looking for something that will help me to get out on a daily basis, will keep me fit, but also will allow me to, to explore some of my local environment. Because I would usually drive from like 
Manchester to North Wales, bypassing a load of really great places to, to get to a, an equally great place, like, you know, which is two hours drive away. And I thought there's got to be a bit more on my doorstep. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take the time to get out with a map, get out there on foot and, um, and do some exploring. And initially, you know, trail running was definitely, for me, was about trail walking with a little mix of running. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it still feels a bit like that because it's not always easy to run up the hills that are around me. Um, but I've, I've absolutely loved it. And it, I've really been surprised at the benefits that it's had for myself physically, but also mentally. It's just become the hour that I try and do on a daily basis to turn my phone off, to, you know, I don't go out there with headphones on. I just kind of listen to what's going on around me and, and just enjoy that, that process of being outside on my own or, or, or with people. You know, I'm not against going out running with people, but I'm often am on my own um, and just enjoying that space like, like that. It's, re it's been really, really good for me. And are you running, you know, just out on the hills or in a forest or are you also taking your running, you know, out to more urban areas, you know, like streets and roads? So I do quite a mix actually. And I've got, um, where, where I live in North Manchester, I've got quite good access um, to up onto some of the moorlands, some of the hills, but I can also do some really good road running from there as well. So I do quite a mix. And whilst the, the running on the road presents quite a different viewpoint, and of course there's, uh, there's cars and there's, you know, there's obviously a little bit more pollution in that, that kind of way. I still find that I really enjoy it and it still feels like it's it's still quite adventurous because you get to plan where you're going and you get to think about where you're uh, you know where you're going to run and taking up in some of the uphills and the downhills so it, it's not as it's not as wild in terms of nature but I still really enjoy going seeing those different places like that and doing it on foot is is great yeah and um just just a moment ago you mentioned that you you don't run with headphones which I'd like to chat a little bit more about because when I was training for the Brighton Marathon, which I never got to do because of COVID, um, when I was training, there was the question asked, you know, are you going to do the marathon with headphones or not? Because you do get a very different experience. And, and I was training with headphones, you know, listening to music or a podcast to get me through those longer runs. And but those times that I didn't have my headphones, I'd have a very different experience. You know, I'd be a lot more in tune to, to the woodland that I was running in, to the sounds around me. Um, I guess I had a little bit more of a deeper relationship with the run that I was doing. Um, however, I did find that those runs <laughs> felt a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I've, got, I've, I've not got a strong argument for or against headphones. I know loads of people sort of want to run with music on and that's, that's great and the way that they choose to relax, but I've really enjoyed running without them just because like you say, you really can just listen to what's going on around you and, and the sort of natural sounds, you know, the, the wind and the birds and all of that really, really suits me actually. Um, and I, I do sometimes worry on the road, you know, cause you've got to pay attention quite a lot as well that whether or not I'd, I'd miss some of the sort of audio cues of cars coming up behind me and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I personally really enjoy running without headphones, but I never say never. I'm sure I'd probably run faster if I had some music pumping. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You sort of run with the with the rhythm of the song that you're listening to. So if it's a quick one, you're going to run faster. Um, now let's go back to the paddling. You, you know, I know you talk about you 
paddle a lot in North Wales, um, which is incredible, but there must have been some other places a little bit more exotic that you've gone to. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about, you know, the most amazing places that you've paddled? So I, I went, um, I've been to Uganda a few times now, and um, and pro that's probably also where I'd like to go back to as well, which would be great. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, the, I, I ended up going on a trip out in 2007 um, out to the Nile, uh, out in Uganda, which was a, a real like sort of pivotal point for me in my paddling career because it was one of those long-term goals that I'd had. It was it was somewhere that I really wanted to go, and and I'd also managed to put it up on quite a pedestal that you know only good kayakers would go there. You know you, you wouldn't travel to Africa unless you were really committed and really keen to do this. Um, and when I look back, I think I could have probably gone sooner. You know I probably didn't need to be as good as I thought I did to go there, but it was. It was such a, a turning point for me to to head out there and to do to do that trip and and I went with with really good friends who are still really good friends with and paddle now and um, and I absolutely loved it. I I think where I'd like to go, I would like to head back to Uganda. Um, a lot of the a lot of the rapids that are there actually now have disappeared due to uh, to dams and to hydroelectric plants being put in there. A lot of the white water now is completely flat, which which is actually stunningly beautiful. It really is nice um, and a, you know, a fantastic place to sup, potentially, if that's the kind of supping that you want to do. Um, but in terms of the white water, there's, there is a fair amount of it that has now disappeared. There's still some there, of course, but there's some that has gone. Um, I, I've had on my mind for quite some time to go to the Zambezi. So <sighs> that would also be another, another great trip. But you know what, there, there's so many good places everywhere. There, there's, yeah. rivers in, there's rivers in North Wales that I haven't paddled before. There's probably like even stretches of river near my house within an hour that I haven't paddled before. So I, I love the concept of exploration from your doorstep, so to speak, um, but also the idea of traveling far and wide to, to see somewhere really remote that you, you may only ever see once. Yeah, I think that's you know something that this year has taught us that we can have adventures on our doorstep, um, something that I reflected on quite recently actually was um, that just before COVID hit, I was out in India, um, in South India in Kerala, and we went kayaking into the backwaters in Aleppo, and it was absolutely incredible. And we saw kingfishers, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing. And then re very recently, we went paddleboarding down my local canal, and we saw a kingfisher. And we had an incredible time. And on reflection, it made me realise, you know, I had just as much fun going down the canal just behind my house on my paddleboard as I did kayaking through the backwaters of, of Kerala. Um, but, you know, however, you, you, there is an amazing thing, isn't there, by going to the far corners of the earth and, and exploring. It's a different kind of adventure. But I think it's also important to remember you can get that same exhilarating feeling, um, you know, going somewhere that's walking distance from your home. Um, so did you see lots of wildlife when you were out in Africa? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we did. Um, there's, uh, there, was, there was talk of there being no crocodiles uh, in the Nile, but we saw, or in the part of the Nile we were on, but we saw crocodiles, saw um, loads of incredible birds as well. Um, all sorts of snakes and um, yeah, monitor lizards and things like that. I'm I'm quite happy with 
like things in context in the place where, where you're meant to be. So a snake in the water, um, so not too far away from your boat. I was, I was generally quite okay with that. Um, but like a snake on a river in North Manchester, that probably <laughs> freaked me out for sure. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really wouldn't want to be seeing a crocodile down my local canal, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, so was this trip on the Nile, was this a planned trip, you know, with a guide? Or was this something that you organised just, just off your own back? So, so where we went to was actually quite well set up for there being rafting there and um, sort of rafted trips down through that section of the river. But there's so many different channels and so many different options of where you can go on the rapid. It wasn't just like there's there's one one way down it. You know, you could actually um, you could almost get yourself lost on some of the, the different channels and different avenues that you would you'd be on on the river. So we um, we didn't have a, a formal guide, but we did meet up with somebody for at least the first few days. Who um, who'd been out there quite a long time was working for one of the rafting companies and was able to kind of show us the ropes and just kind of give us a, a bit of an overview of the landscape and, and where to go and where not to go. Um, and then we we kind of just were connecting with other people that were out there already and, and sort of doing mini short short trips with them as well. We we weren't doing a, a long A to B trip. We were it wasn't as if we were kind of getting in our boats and paddling and then stopping and keeping going from there we were usually doing like the same sort of stretch of, of water and choosing different rapids to go down as well. So um, yeah, we, we did have, we did have some help at the start, but we were actually quite competent to, to make our own decisions after sort of four or five yeah. days. Yeah. And in your sort of professional opinion, do you recommend people, you know, look to have a guide if they're, they're paddling somewhere that they've never been before? Um, do you think it's always a wise move to do that? So I think a guide can bring loads to a trip, things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but just like simple logistics, like where to get food from, how to get up and down the river or from A to B, logistics, trip planning, all that sort of thing, they can really bring a lot to it. But more and more, and, and this might sort of show my age a little bit, but I'm getting more interested in like the wildlife and the history and the landscape and all that sort of thing around the trip, which I really think a guide can usually bring a lot to. Um, there, there's loads of people out there who are really competent just to plan their own trip and to turn up and to do it themselves, which I think is is great. And that might be that might be your goal. But if you're thinking oh, I'd quite like to go there, but I'm just not quite sure how I'd how I'd run that trip or how I'd facilitate it, I do think there's a huge value to having a locally sourced guide. Yeah, I think it's easy to think that you're saving money by not having a guide, but actually it can so often mean that you're missing out on opportunities. And then there is also obviously the health and safety part of it. I know there was a time in Nicaragua when I opted out of having a guide whilst on a, you know, taking a kayak out and got myself in a bit of a sticky situation, kind of stuck in this very large body of water and I couldn't get back in and, and I could have just paid $5 for a guide, you know? So I certainly learned from my mistakes there. Um, but speaking of sticky situations, as a coach, you know, I'm sure you're very in tune with health and safety, but has there ever been a time when you feel a little bit out of your depth and that maybe nature had got the better of you? Yeah, and, and interestingly, like on, on the river, I think um, I, I can think of situations on the river where I've, I've certainly felt like overpowered by, by the water or like we might in be in over our head with a bit too much challenge. Um, but some of the times where, where I think you can, you can see it sort of slowly drifting out of control have often been actually on open water. 
Um, so I've, um, uh, I've, I've done the trip from Fort William to Inverness across the Great Glen Way quite a few times now, but without fail on every single trip that I've been on, there's always been some kind of uh, environmental challenge on there, whether that is the wind kind of creating like crazy waves on the water or storms coming in and, and sort of really beating you down with loads of rain. But I can remember like one time um, when um, I, me and my friend of mine were trying to paddle from Fort William to Inverness uh, in a day. So we wanted to, not trying to break any records, we, we knew we weren't up for that, but we wanted to go from Fort William to Inverness in a day. And, and we'd set off from Fort William, I think about just before six o'clock in the morning. And one of the first um, bits of open water you get to is Loch Lochy. And we were in uh, a couple of um, like what they call surf skis, which are, are like long, uh, almost ocean racing type kayaks, which we thought would be really fast for the job, but they're, they're like a racing sit on top. So your, your knees are out, you kind of expose the, the elements and they can be really, really good. Um, as long as there's not like loads of waves washing on and lots of water crashing at either side. And we got onto this, uh, this bit of water and it just became really, really windy, seemingly very, very quickly as well. Really, really windy. It was still quite dark and we started to get separated a little bit, um, which we were both really aware of, but couldn't really do a huge amount about because we were just getting pushed in slightly different directions. And at that point, it felt really vulnerable because even though I could see my friend that I was with, who is, who is also really, really competent, I thought, I can't really do anything to help him out and he can't really do anything to help me out um, because we've ended up sort of in the middle of this lock and swimming to the side isn't really an option should that should that happen and I thought what what are we going to do now in in the end we managed to kind of get back together again a bit closer and we we pulled right in near to the side so that we could uh, we could kind of ditch it if we needed to really you know we could get to the side if we if we had to and actually the conditions died down almost as quick as they, they came up, but we had an hour where it felt like we were really on that, that edge of adventure and misadventure. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely a fine line between, you know, the unknown and it being exciting and adventurous to then it crossing over and just actually the fun stops and, you know, you want control to come, to come back into, into what you're doing. Um, did you did you learn anything from that trip that you now kind of take forward onto other ones? Yeah, we did, and and I think what was interesting is you could you can make a really strong point that we ended up in an entirely predictable situation where we we knew there was some wind coming, we knew there was that weather going to be there, we knew the water we were going to go out onto, and we also knew there was only two of us, so you could you could really think looking back, we knew that was going to happen. And so I definitely make more of a point now of thinking about like, what are the escape plans? You know, where are we going to go? Um, we just decided when we did it just to kind of plow straight down the middle of the water, but we could have actually um, gone a bit more around the edge, which wouldn't have been the most direct route, but might've been better. Um, and I also keep my eye on the weather a bit more now too. So um, not just checking the night before or in the morning, but doing something a bit more, hour by hour, especially on, on that kind of trip. I think an extra minute spent keeping your eye on the weather, like every 45 minutes, every hour or so, is is a minute well spent. So I do that definitely more often. And, and it's actually so easy for us to do that now. I know there's 
lots of different apps that people use to check the weather. Is there any one that you can recommend? Yeah, so what I actually typically try and do is, is use a few just to make sure that I'm like getting reliable information. I think if you want just a, a snapshot of what the weather's doing, if you just want to do a quick glance and see if it's the same as it was, um, XC Weather, um, which has a nice app, is, is really useful. Um, I, I'm also a fan of uh, an app called Windy, which works really, really well and actually gives you a few different forecasting models as well, but isn't necessarily always that quick to check in the moment. So I usually use a combination of, of those two as well. And if you're going out onto a river, then um, the river app um, or rain chasers are ones where you can actually check the, the river levels to see if they're higher than expected or if it's rising up or falling down as well. Yeah, it's amazing what we can get on our phones nowadays. And, and I've used the Windy app before and it was really accurate. So I can, I can recommend that one too. Um, now I know that quite recently you've started to get a little bit more involved with environmental, you know, the environmental side of things like litter picks. I know you took part in one with Kendall Mountain Festival um, on the river, I believe it was. And you've started to do a little bit more whilst trail running. Where has this sudden need to want to give back to nature kind of come from? Yeah, I, I certainly have. And, and for quite some time now, I've very much thought of myself as like a real novice in this kind of area. You know, I, I love going out and doing stuff in outdoor spaces. And I really like those kind of adventures. But knowing what to do in terms of giving back or putting something into that space, I've always felt like, I, like I'm really unsure. And so what I think that has led me to do over the years is kind of to, to go, well, I don't know what to do, so I just do nothing. But I've, I've now really come to the conclusion that doing something is significantly better, whether that is like just even the smallest thing. And I, I was involved with um, a river cleanup as part of the Kendall Mountain Festival at, uh, in November last year. And it really opened my eyes to how much like a, a little committed team of individuals can make a, a big difference. And, and even if you just go out there and pick up a few bits of rubbish, then or, or tidy up a space or do something to contribute, if other people do that as well, then it makes a massive difference too. So now when I'm out on my trails and I'm running, I've got a little, uh, a little bag that I keep in my, in my little uh, rucksack just to, to pop a few bits of rubbish in. And I make a point of trying to do that like every time. I know I'm not going to clear all the rubbish. And I think that was one of my stopping points previously. I thought, well, I'm never going to manage to sort all of this out. But I think if I do a little bit every time, then that's going to have a bit of an impact. Yeah, and, and I have a motto that small acts amount to big changes. So we all need to do our little bit. And, you know, I know that when you did the litter pick with Kendall, you, you were doing it with Cal Major, who has made a huge impact um, and influenced a lot of people and, you know, brought awareness to the problem of plastic pollution. She's done films, she's incredible. But it's important to, you know, not get overwhelmed by these huge projects that people like Cal are doing and think that what you're doing won't make an impact because it will. And people like Cal just do incredible work at, at inspiring others to do their little bit. Um, so were you on kayaks when you did the, the River Clean with Kendall Mountain Festival? Yeah, we were, yeah. Yeah, I, I only asked this because it was paddleboarding that really opened my eyes to the issues around plastic pollution. Um, you know, I'd see little bits when I'd go out on a walk, but, you know, I might pick something up or someone else do, might do. I guess it's a little bit easier to do a litter pick whilst you're on foot. 
but once I started spending more time on the water, I started to see so much more that was sort of hidden in the reeds and and it had been there for years and years and years as well. Um, I don't know if you, you found this too. Yeah, and it, it's it's a totally different perspective, I think, when you get into the water and start start looking for a way to to help the environment. And when we when we did that litter pick, we we went and uh, moved a load of vehicles to the end, so we would have like a way of moving all the rubbish like after we finished. And what was really interesting is we walked back up the river because we we decided to walk back up, which takes about twenty minutes. Um, I I remember looking in the river and thinking, oh, there's not there's not that much in there. It it won't take us that long. And that was genuinely my perspective when I walked. So I thought I can see a few bits, but it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that much of an issue. This it seems like it's quite clean already. And when we went down, I could not believe how much there was in there. It, it was it was genuinely unbelievable how much rubbish was in. Just I think it was less than two k that we actually managed to clean up. We we almost couldn't clean it up enough towards the end because our boats and we had some rafts were so full. It was unbelievable, and and I I think from the bank, my perspective was, oh, it kind of looks clean, but as soon as we got on the water, we were finding. I think we found something like fifty golf balls, you know, wow. in different different parts of the river. We found yeah car keys. There was shopping trolleys in there, cones, plastic pipes which shouldn't have been in there. There was so much stuff, and I thought, wow, from the bank, this looked fine, but when you're in the river, it, it really needed some help. Wow, I mean, the mind boggles as to how some of these objects get into our waterways. You know, a shopping trolley. Yes, what is the story behind that? Um, but I think it is great that establishments like Kendall Mountain Festival are, you know, doing these litter picks to bring a little bit more awareness. You know, I know they, they ran it as a virtual event as well. Um, I saw it online and I ended up going out and doing a beach clean that day. And it's just a great way to to share the issue but also share the enthusiasm for our environment um yeah and I, and I think that that for me has been the real turning point there is that you can just do a little bit and that will help you know rather than thinking oh, i've got to i've got to do a massive event or i've got to go out for the full day or i've got to get 20 bin bags you know out of out of the canal it doesn't have to be that way it can just be small small things that you're going to contribute to try and help a space or try and clean up a space or, or whatever you're going to do. And, and, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that if I don't do it or, or we don't do it, then who is going to do it? You know, that's, that's the point. Often on the runs that I do from near my house, um, I won't see anybody else. And I think, well, if there's only me going to walk past this bit of rubbish today, then there's only me in a position to sort it out. So I've got to take a bit of responsibility with that. Yes, absolutely. All right, Chris, the big question that I ask everyone on this podcast, looking back at the ripples you've made in your life, what are the key things you've learned to keeping your mind and body healthy? So I think, I think remembering that you do have to keep your mind and body healthy is, is really important. I've, I've been quite focused for, uh, for quite some time now on, on making sure that I look after myself physically and, and mentally when I'm out on the water or just sort of through my daily life. And that's where trying to run regularly and go outside regularly has, has really come in. Um, but also just paying attention to, you know, how I feel, whether that is 
that I'm feeling like on top of the world one day or not not quite so great the next day and I'm doing something about that and usually for me the answer is to to go out and and do something whether that's you know go out on a paddleboard or um, you know go for a walk or anything like that so I think that those things are really important just to keep it at the forefront of your mind that I think for a lot of people that they are probably their their biggest asset you know looking after themselves is is really important and I know people have responsibility to look after other people as well but making sure that you do something to look after yourself is is really important and for me that's going out for a paddle but for other people it could just be taking the time to read a book or to go for a walk or, or whatever yeah it can be the most simple things I think um, okay, so before we wrap up, if anybody wanted to find out a little bit more about you, Chris, um, or, you know, book a coaching session, where can they do that? So the best way to get hold of me is through my website, which is www.chrisbraincoaching.com, or you can find me and follow me on Instagram, and there's a Facebook page with the same name as well. So, uh, yeah, get in touch with me anyway like that. Oh, it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you today, Chris. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. Um, such a great insight into you know the balance of being a coach, but also doing what you do because you love it as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Start a Ripple podcast. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe and write a review. It helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is via Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.